everyone. Welcome to Taking the Pulse, a healthcare and life sciences video podcast. I am Heather Hoops Matthews here in the studio today with Maynard Nixon, healthcare attorney Matthew Roberts. Matthew, good to be with you. Good to see you. Thank you. And joining us today is Mason Ellerby. He is the lead executive for High Value Health at One Digital, a leading insurance, financial services, and HR consulting firm. Mason, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure to be here this afternoon. Start us off by telling a little bit about your background in your current role at One Digital. Sure. Great. And thank you again for, for having me. Um, 25, 30 years in the hospital system, healthcare delivery system side of the business. Mm-hmm. I was with McLeod Health down in Florence mm-hmm. and then 20 plus years at Atrium, what is now known as Atrium Health in Charlotte, left there in 2019 and, and ran into an op- opportunity to work with One Digital um, as somewhat of an in-house consultant with the simplified description of my of our efforts is to help our employers that are clients of ours. We operate in the middle market. We sort of help help those uh, employers find options for their benefits, employee um, health care benefits, life, disability, other things. But particularly my area is obviously the health side. Mm-hmm. And we're looking to find new innovative ways to provide that employer some solutions that yield higher value care for their employees, um, you know, not the status quo. So challenging the status quo, doing things differently in a way that we think is important. All right. Yeah. Well, that'll, I'm sure, help them recruit better people. You know, recruiting and retaining staff is exactly the focus many of our clients are, are mm-hmm. frankly, struggling with right now. Mm-hmm. And we've pivoted from being more of a traditional benefit broker to being more, we talk about it, we're, in, we're, we're helping employers execute their people strategy. Hmm. Uh, and making sure that what they invest in relative to uh, benefits and, and, and compensation, total compensation, matches what those folks actually want. Uh, a lot of times we'll find traditional benefit plans are more structured towards the baby boomers instead of the millennials, for example. So right. we do demographic analysis, we break it down and we say, hey, how are you communicating with your folks and tailoring things to meet all ends of your workforce? So that's, I hope that makes sense. It does. Yeah. Mason, you mentioned the status quo. The status quo for employer-sponsored plans was if you work for a company of a certain size, they're going to provide health benefits, health insurance. How is that changing? Because we know that that cost, that health care benefit, is becoming more and more expensive for employers. Great question. Um, my first answer would be it's changing slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, the status quo doesn't, the, the incumbent doesn't, make, doesn't play road games. Right. Um, and so the traditional system where healthcare is paid for, employer-sponsored healthcare, right. um, is typically purchased by that employer from a BUCA plan, if I can use that acronym. Okay. Blue Cross, United, Cigna, Aetna. We just right. group them all together. It's not always a term of endearment, I'll say, <laughs> but that's a little bit of my background. <laughs> but um, those plans, you know, they do what they do, but they're big and they're set up and they're FIFA-service oriented, as are their provider networks, are typically FIFA-service and FIFA service creates incentives that are inconsistent with having physicians accountable for and delivering comprehensive, high-value, proactive health care to, pe- to patients, yeah, to people. And the FIFA service traditionally is the more you do, the more you get paid. And, and, and they do. Yes. Uh, and the whole system for 30, 40 years of insured FIFA service medicine has created a very large healthcare delivery system industry that is very costly and with inconsistent results, if I could just sort of describe it that way. And and, in addition to the employers buying a plan from one of the traditional health plans, you also have the self-insured market. So a company of a certain size 
they decide to, and you could describe a little bit of how that works. No, you're exactly right. And once you get, once an employer typically gets over a hundred employees, depending on industry and the mix of their folks, they, they could consider self-funding. Right. Now, remember that a lot of self-funded plans that are sponsored by employers still come from those BUCAs. Yes. The BUCAs yes. provide an ASO type relationship right. where they get paid administration, but you the, access the, network. the employer takes right. partial risk around the spend right. on that population. Um, but a lot of times the, um, the BUCA health plan owns a TPA, may own or contract with a PBM, pharmacy benefit management entity. Oh, oh, yes. And so they package all that together, top loss insurance. And so it all comes from the same entity. And we have found that by unbundling those things, we can be a lot more innovative. What, it's hmm. interesting you mentioned that because that vertical integration with the health plans, then they add the third party administrators pharmacy benefit managers, a lot of folks who are not in the healthcare space don't realize how much one owner, one entity owns all of this and the impact it has. Can you talk a little bit about that, about that vertical integration and the impact it has on the overall cost for employers? Yeah. And it's, it obfuscates the cost right. too. And that's one of the things I think it's there's almost no transparency. And let me be clear. People in my business, the benefit brokers, are part of that ecosystem historically. Right. Uh, I would say part of the problem if they're not working to be part of the solution. Right. Um, that's what our firm is really focused on is saying, hey, we can't just be the same old, same old. We've got to find ways to challenge this and find partners that can help us break that apart, unbundle that so that you can uncover the opportunities to provide higher value care and more responsive care right. to people. Um, you know. Matthew, if you think about the fundamentals of a traditional health plan, uh, employer-sponsored or otherwise, you basically are given a big network of doctors and said, if you get sick, go to the doctor, This choose one of these doctors in network. Most of the big plans have most of the doctors and hospitals right, in right. network. It really isn't much guidance. There's, very, there's no differentiation in terms of quality, very little information in terms of quality. Right. I mean, even your primary care doctors, don't have great information about who to refer you to if you need specialized care. Right. That's just a, a, a uh, weakness in the whole healthcare delivery system is that's never been part of the process of selection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, <clears throat> if you go buy a gallon of gasoline or a tank of gasoline from one brand or the other, you have a pretty good idea on you're going to get the same gas mileage out of right. that gallon of gasoline. In healthcare, there's huge variation. Right. The complications, infection rates, post-operative, mm -hmm. and it's very little, very little good information about the outcomes and quality, particularly if you risk adjust those things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so there's all sorts of aspects of that that can be known. We can use technology and use some databases that are out there and some algorithms and all those kinds of things that are going on in other industries using technology to shine a brighter, more effective light on it, not to take care of you, but to help those that take care of you understand and know what the best options are right. and to be able to sort through the complicated uh, mix of things and uh, things that are out there. Very so complicated. We th but we're starting to see and, and try to take advantage of some of those things by having a more proactive health plan for folks, if that makes sense. It does. Yes. Layer in and discuss <clears throat> that the rising cost, high cost, some may argue of insurance. Well, uh, you know, there are a couple of ways you can attack that. I'm going to leave the high cost of the administration of insurance and things like that off to the side. That's not my area of expertise, but trust me, there's a lot of that that misaligned incentives allow there to be some 
some extra overhead that I think could be challenged. Mm -hmm. But in the healthcare delivery system side that, that drives some of that cost, the, if you leave a, an individual covered by a health plan, mm -hmm. but with no guidance, mm -hmm. they don't know when to go, who to go see. They don't even know whether, should I go to the doctor? Or should I, you know, unless they've got a, a, a doctor or a nurse that's in their family, they're unlikely to really have much insights into when to present to a, so they, one example is they wait too long. And then their symptoms get significant and they go to the emergency department. Which they is the worst place to go. Which is the worst, most expensive. I mean, it's, it's great that we have emergency care and right. emergency physicians do an amazing job. But if you're not about to die, you don't really want to be there. I mean, I'm don't. That's true. Um, but they're great. But they're not a great place to get your strep throat diagnosed and to get a prescription for an antibiotic that could solve your problem. That can, almost, that can be done virtually, frankly. So there's all sorts of ways that those things can be done more cost effectively. Um, we're real enthusiastic about the potential for what we call direct primary care, DPC. It's basically primary care physicians who sometimes are even employed, hired, or contracted by an employer to be on-site or near-site. So if you've got a fairly large workforce in a concentrated area, you might be able to hire a clinic, build a clinic inside your facility, and those folks are paid on a sort of a prepaid basis, a subscription basis, or even just employment based. Um, and their job is to take care of that population of, of several hundred or thousand or two patients and know what's going on with them. If they've got a diabetic, they keep track of what's going on with that diabetic to keep them, keep their A1C within under seven. And, and some of these key metrics that you know, they know what's going on with your blood pressure or your asthma. And they know when you're getting, when you're staying in the, between the lanes, and are having low complicated care that's being that's really not very expensive as long as you're taking the right meds and doing it right and understand it. Mm. So there are options like that that really can reduce variation and reduce complication and give much better outcome for the patient. And it's much less costly because you don't have all those complications that send you to the hospital Downstream, and for, right. for more care. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah we've had uh, the pleasure of having at least one direct primary care physician on this podcast and I got uh, the benefit of going to a groundbreaking for another uh, last week here in town. Really? Who was opening her direct primary care uh, practice here in Columbia. So yeah. I agree with you. It's a, it's a great model. Can you tell a little bit about the difference between a direct DPC model and a concierge medicine, which yeah. sort of predated the DPC involvement? And yeah. there, there, there are some differences. Yeah, there are. And um, great question because they are similar and easy to confuse. Um, the concierge tends to, um, position themselves for folks who want to, are willing to pay, able to pay outside of their normal health plan often, not always, but often they're paying outside of their health plan to get a doctor who is available to them kind of on a special basis. Right. And it's just sort of that concierge right, probably. Right. The direct primary care is oriented more towards the population of patients and has a relationship with the health plan and manages those patients as, in a, as, as part of a population and is held accountable to certain markers and some quality measures and even has bonus opportunities in terms of compensation for keeping the diabetics under control. So some of these chronic conditions, right. for example. Um, the other thing that we're real excited about in terms of putting DPC in with an employer type right. arrangement is connecting that to 
a sculpted network, if you will, okay. or what we call a narrow, uh, I like to call it right. sculpted because somebody says, what's it sculpted around? Well, right. it's sculpted around information we think we have that says this orthopedic surgeon has less complications than that right. one. Mm -hmm. We're going to contract with this orthopedic surgeon, and we're going to do it on an episode of care basis, not on a fee-for-service basis. Mm -hmm. So for 90 days, there's a fixed set fee for certain procedures that are common and important. And the orthopedic surgeons that are really good are excited about providing care on that basis because they get rewarded by, because they do a better job. Mm -hmm. And guess what? The cost is less again. So this is one of the examples of how One Digital is challenging the status quo using like DPCs and these sculpted, um, sculpted networks. How are you getting or addressing the challenges of credentialing? So... You know, the historical credentialing involves, you know, I apply to be a member of a Blue Cross United network. It takes a little bit of time, but if I've got a pretty good record, uh, I get in. Uh, a little different when you're talking about a narrow network because you're looking yep. at a, a deeper dive on what type of physicians you're bringing in, right? Perfect question. The credentialing was designed to make sure you didn't have unlicensed um, doctors who weren't board certified in right. the, and, and that, Patients weren't going to doctors that really had a bad reputation. And right. it's useful, but it doesn't get you very far. It, it frankly, in concept, it makes a lot of sense. I'd rather have it than not, right. but it doesn't get you very far. And it hasn't changed. And in, changed in, in forever. In 40 years, and yeah. if you go look at Blue Cross or Aetna's networks, they've got all sorts of doctors with very different track records on right. quality and outcome, if you can get good data right. about the quality and the outcome. That's been a underinvested area of healthcare delivery in my judgment for a long time. And it's also really hard. Yes. Because you got two, I had a meeting with five neurosurgeons. This is back eight or 10 years ago inside the hospital. I was presenting them some outcome data about complications. And four of them had really good records compared to benchmark. The other guy had twice the bench, twice the rate. And I knew he was thought to be the best guy in the, in the hospital. And I was a little worried because he's also right. pretty firm. Um, this is a neurosurgeon. Yes, yes, yes. Well, as soon as I showed him the data, the other four doctors laughed at me and said, Mason, don't you know, we refer all our complicated all cases. cases to him. Oh. And we wouldn't touch some of these tough cases if it wasn't for him. And we're doing great work for these patients. Yeah. But yeah. the fact that he has that level of outcome is remarkably good. So the problem with the data is your complication data. So as a hospital administrator, I had some of this data about readmissions or infection rates, um, and yet it wasn't that valid because I wasn't able to adjust. And there's no data points inside our billing system that mm -hmm. usually feeds mm -hmm. our quality report cards mm -hmm. uh, that can have that nuance and understand that. And that, that could apply in many areas. Mm -hmm. uh, How receptive do you think physicians are to receiving this quality data you know physicians unlike other professions including lawyers they've been subject to peer review forever they're used to it they're they're used to people looking over their shoulders evaluating their work this is a different level of that because this is more statistics related to cost quality how is that being received you know matthew the docs that really understand it and know that they're pretty good they want everybody to know they're good. Yeah. They've got an ego. They've got, and, right. and they and they are good, and they're, and they're proud of it. Yeah. And and, they, and yeah. frankly, one of the most important things, and and one of the best ways to tell that you're talking to the right doctor about the data, is that they don't open up with your data is flawed. Right. Mm -hmm. They open up with we want to use that data to get better. 
Right. That's the kind of docs you want to be doing business with. And we've, those are conversations we're having now in our efforts to build a sculpted network in the Carolinas right. that can make some sense and that we think can really make a difference for our patients. You know, first cost, quality, outcome, excuse me, quality and outcome, right. and the cost follows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not about unit cost. It's really about the cost of avoiding the variation that creates risk and un- unnecessary hospitalizations, et cetera. So now when you have an employer of a certain size, and we're getting to be that size, you, I think, have to have someone in the organization that understands this. But the fact of the matter is, this is an issue that is beyond HR. They understand the number, but they're not trained, in their defense, they're not trained to look at these healthcare spend dollars and evaluate cost quality. So I think you're going to be looking at new professionals coming up and then having to look at people like, you know, uh, Mason One Digital to say, okay, how do we... Mm-hmm. In, a, in a way that's fair to our workforce, improve the quality of care, but then reduce the spend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's funny you just described the reason my job exists. Right, right. Um, when uh, number two, one of the founders of One Digital had this concern about, he understood enough about this to know that we needed to challenge the status quo. Right. Um, and when I met him, we had two or three Zoom calls this back in the COVID era, of course, yes. um, and he was in I don't know the Northern Virginia area, okay. but anyway, we got, we hit it off because we had this conversation. He said, Mason, I want you to come work with us and to help us show up differently than all our other competitors. Cause nobody really understands. And this is complicated. It isn't easy. There's not an easy button. I mean, to go put a renewal in with blue cross is pretty easy. Yes. You just adjust yeah. the copays and deductible. Mm-hmm. And the, frankly, the employees get to pay more. Right. Um, and the hospital and the doctors probably get a bigger, copay that they have to go collect and people don't have, I mean, it's it's all sorts of other ancillary problems around that rising trend, if you will, in health, the cost of healthcare insurance. That's not good for anybody. Um, And it certainly isn't good outcomes in care. What about the employee, Mason? They have a greater area or or role of responsibility in this now too. You know, know, I I actually think um, in my judgment, we've been doing the employee a huge disservice by giving them this great big out of date network book of right. here's the doctors you have right. in network access to. And they're like, okay, which one should I go to? And for what and when, yeah. and we don't give them any guidance, right. any support, mm-hmm. a much more. In fact, there's some models out there and they're getting great uh, feedback from the patients. Great net provide NPS scores, net provide promoter scores, those uh, measures of <clears throat> satisfaction because right. it's engaging people in a way that, they don't have to get up the learning curve. They can have a, a, a relationship with a physician uh, team often that has their interest and is accountable for their care in a proactive, right. positive manner, rather than just come see us when you, you know, take two aspirin and call me in the right. morning if you right. don't feel better kind of thing. It's, right. it's, that's nice, but it's, it's freedom of choice, but it's not guidance and support, not, not a lot of value ending uh, resulting. It's not getting people to a healthier state either. Right. Right. Certainly that's strategic. Not. No. I mean, right. you know, and in South Carolina, we, I am. Yeah. yeah, we're not real high performing when no, it comes to taking care not, of ourselves. Numbers, yeah. numbers yeah. don't lie. Yeah. yeah, I can just see the passion in you when you talk about this. But yeah. does it feel like you're climbing Mount Everest to try to change? The you know, system? I may borrow that metaphor next time because I'm tired of chasing the windmill. That's yes. the one I've been uh, using. Yes, um, that too. Yeah, um, but um, yeah, it's it's tough. Um, the and for reasons that are understood, and I'm not at all. I've been part of it. I've been part of the incumbent system 
Um, and as I say, I, I feel like I've been part of the problem for most of my career, and now I'm excited about trying to do some things differently. Um, but so I'm not being critical of any of the individuals sure. um, or, or even the systems. They're doing what the system has has created. They're following the in, the influences. Um, but um, they also understand why we're asking these questions, why we're challenging. Yeah. I have great conversations with folks, whether it be at Atrium or Novant in Charlotte or others. I've talked to some of the folks from Prisma, um, and they get it. Yeah. Uh, and they do see the need to change coming. Medicare, what Obamacare legislation actually did push forward some things, and Medicare is actually using some value-based uh, concepts and creating some value-based structures. The Medicare Advantage programs um, are vastly under-understood and appreciated because um, you know, you hear about them on late night TV as 1-800-GET-BETTER-MEDICARE. Right. And that's not necessarily the best route to go, but Medicare Advantage programs are actually challenging some things and bringing forward and putting physicians and groups of physicians, teams of physicians, in place to be accountable for the outcomes and results. Now, there's a, we can, sure. <clears throat> there's a lot behind that. Right. So don't, don't quote me as saying, yeah, that's a great place for everybody to go necessarily, but right. take a look at it. Right. Yeah. Right. Hope that makes sense. It does. Yeah. Mason Ellerby with One Digital. You're the lead value health, high value health um, executive with them. Thank you so much for joining us today. Matthew, this has been yes. um, in interesting. Yeah. Oh, it's very. They're, they're on the cutting learn, edge. Right? Yeah. Definitely cutting edge. Yeah. And, you know, we're continuing to work. It's not in place yet, but we're looking forward to making, I mean, some pieces are, but going and making it a widespread option for folks is, is a real challenge, but looking forward to it. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all for your time. Thank you. For those of you who joined us today, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you're like me, you might have to rewind and listen for a couple of things again. But um, on behalf of Matthew and everybody here at Taking the Pulse, thank you for your interest in our podcast and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on taking the pulse a healthcare and life sciences podcast